Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Thanks very much. Well, thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. How are we doing? Are we cold? Because I'm cold. I'm sorry I've got my jacket on. I feel very, very cold. Maybe I'm getting ill. Anyway, it's wonderful to see you. Um, Extend the welcome that's already been extended uh, a few times. It's so nice to be on home turf. Uh, We really do, Georgie and I, feel very much at home here, and we hope you do too. Um, It's actually been one of our main prayers over the last six months or so that Christchurch London West End would actually become a place that people call home. And so we hope you feel relaxed here. We hope you have uh, a great time. Whether you've been with us right since the start, um, we started uh, a little over two years ago in a room just off uh, Cambridge Circus, uh, Seven Dials, Uh, about 10 or 12 of us meeting to talk about planting this thing. Or even if today is just your first Sunday, we hope you have a brilliant uh, time with us. Today has been billed as Vision Sunday, which sounds like it should come with a big cinematic entrance and a sort of one of those deep, booming cinema voices. Um, That's not quite the tact I'm going to take. You may be relieved to hear. What I want to take the time to do today is essentially just share something of the heart that God has given George and I for who we believe he's calling us to be. Uh, who we believe God is calling us to be together as a community, and perhaps something of the journey he wants to take us on as the West End service. Um, Before we jump into all of that, just to give you a bit of context in case you have walked in for the first time, you're like, who on earth are these people? What is this all about? Uh, We are one of four, soon to be five services uh, that together make up Christchurch London. So we meet here in the West End. There's a service that meets centrally at the Mermaid Theatre, one that meets down south uh, near Vauxhall Way. There's one that meets out east at Bethnal Green, and there's soon to be another one that starts uh, way down south, Zone 5, Sutton, which I'm told is still technically London, although, you know, debatable. Um, Anyway, put all those services together. We are Christchurch London, and Christchurch London has a common set of values, a common vision, a sort of common mission. It's typically expressed best by saying we want to be engaged with everything, empowered by the Spirit, and we want to work for the social, cultural, and spiritual renewal of the city. Now, if you've been around here for any period of time, you will have heard those taglines used, I'm sure, many, many times. Uh, They will pop up a little bit in what I'm going to share today, but just to say, if you want to catch a heart for what we're doing as a church, as a whole, do head to the Christchurch London website. There's lots of info there. But within that sort of wider meta-context, what I want to do today is take the time to zoom right in, us here, West End Service. What does God want to say to us today? And over the past few months, uh, probably uh, specifically the last couple of months, the period of Advent coming up to Christmas, and then January of this year, God's been speaking to Georgie and I about coming back to first principles, sort of coming back to basics, getting away from all the complexity, all the big thinking, big ideas, and just right back to some foundational values and principles. Um, It's almost been like, you know when you make good gravy? Who likes gravy? Anyone like gravy? I love gravy. I like making gravy properly. So you like, you roast a joint, and then in the pan that you've made that joint in, you then make the gravy in that, and you've got all the juice and the fats, and it's wonderful. Anyway, you have to reduce that down. Usually add water that you've used to cook the vegetables. And there's a process of reduction and it all reduces down. And what happens is the flavors in that start to become stronger. 
and they start to become clearer. And all of that is a very abstract metaphor for trying to describe something of the journey we've been on, where God has actually been reducing down to some core sort of key flavors and ideas uh, who he's calling us to be. What I'm going to share today is very much a work in progress. Uh, Georgie and I do not stand here today with some polished vision of who we want Christchurch London West End to be. In fact, we don't stand here today as polished people, full stop. I mean, we just, we, we haven't got it all together. But what we come to you with is a sort of work in progress of just some things that really matter to us, some things that we really believe at the heart level, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, quick warning, there is probably enough material in this preach to do like three sermon series, so I'm really sorry if it seems like we're skimming the surface. I just want to get through it, and I don't want to keep you here at all late. So, Without further ado, uh, today I want to talk to you about three key ideas, three key flavors that we believe God wants to uh, outwork amongst us. I want to talk to you about the presence of God, that is our relationship with him. I want to talk to you about community, that is our relationship with each other. And I want to talk to you about purpose, that is our relationship with the world. And you can sometimes summarize these. You may well have heard similar themes talked about in terms of the up, the in, and the out. The up being our relationship with God, the in being our relationship with each other, and the out being our relationship with the world. So starting right off, presence, relationship with God. We want to pursue the presence of God. Uh, presence is essentially being with God. Presence is a being word, not a doing word. If you are present with someone, you are with them. You spend time with them. Uh, conceptually and theologically, there are three types of presence, three sort of ways of being with God. Uh, first of all is God's omnipresence. This is the idea that God is in everything, in all places, at all times. You know, God doesn't just hang out in church buildings on Sundays. You know, he happens to hang out in the rest of the world during the week as well. Uh, Psalm 139 says it best, where the psalm writer says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere in all things, and we want to go on a journey of becoming more aware of God in our everyday life. Uh, a couple of beautiful quotes that sum this up. Uh, Charlotte Bronte, when she wrote Jane Eyre, wrote these words. We know that God is everywhere. Certainly we feel his presence when his works are spread before us. In the unclouded night sky where his worlds wheel their silent course, and we read clearest his infinitude, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. And C.S. Lewis sums it up like this. He says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. Um, so God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And there's a world out there waiting to uh, invite you to come and find God there. Secondly, there is this sense of the indwelling presence. When you become a Christian, when you give your life to Christ, we're told that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. It's a pretty mind-blowing concept. And Paul writes to the early church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 3, and also in chapter 6. He says, do you know, do you not know that you are a temple 
of God and that the Spirit dwells in you. And actually, we can experience the presence every moment of our lives because the Spirit dwells in us. So God is omnipresent. He dwells in us by his indwelling presence. And thirdly is what's often referred to as the manifest presence. This, this, sort of, this is the weird one. The sort of, it's sometimes referred to as the very present presence. You're like, whoa, it's too much presence. What's, what's, what's going on? This is essentially those moments where rather than God being everywhere all the time, or rather than him dwelling in you, it's almost like you're in a room and God walks in that room with you. God sort of steps into time and space and meets us. And he does this throughout the scripture in a variety of ways. In Exodus 3, we find God meeting with Moses and he decides to reach out in the form of a burning bush with the fire not consuming the bush. Uh, later on in the story of Exodus, Moses leading the people of God by uh, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God was manifesting himself in quite peculiar ways. The, the book of Acts in the New Testament, where the Spirit is poured out into humanity, the Spirit is described as being like a rushing wind, like tongues of fire. Now, different ones of us will have had different experiences. All of that to say, all of it is the same God. It's the same Spirit. Whether you see him in an unclouded night sky, or whether you just feel like the rushing wind of him coming into the room where you are, we want to grow as a community in being aware of the presence of God. And presence is really about knowing God intimately. When you boil this whole gig down, it really is all about relationship. God wants to know us each intimately. And in the ancient world, the concept of knowledge and love were actually very interlinked. For us, knowledge has become a primarily intellectual concept, but it was always very linked to this concept of intimacy and love. The 17th century uh, monk, Brother Lawrence, you may have uh, come across one of his works. It's called uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. He says this. He says, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. And when it comes to loving God, when it comes to knowing him intimately and loving him, Jesus teaches us that it's kind of a big deal. You know, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they came to him and they're like, okay, Jesus, what is the most important law? If there's one rule we could follow, give us one thing that matters the most. And in Matthew 22, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And guys, I want to start right here today because this really is the most important thing. This, this is really it. If we do nothing else as the West End service, and I assure you we will, but if we were to do nothing else, this is priority one. We want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to grow in our awareness of his presence, of being with him. And we want to give ourselves fully in love to him. A.W. Tozer says, I want the presence of God himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. You know, we could occupy ourselves for the next 50 years with religious activity, with meetings, with gatherings, with stuff to do. But actually, if we never really meet him, and we never really spend time with him, then it's all going to leave us unfulfilled. We could fill our diaries, but it would never satisfy or fill our hearts. And ultimately, the miracle in all this is not that we get to love God. 
The miracle is not that we love him or that we found him or that we're clever enough or have earned it. The miracle in all of this is that he found us. The miracle is that God stepped down into this world to have relationship with us. The miracle is not that we love God, but as 1 John says, it's because he first loved us. And as well as wanting to grow in our awareness of the presence of God, we want to be a community that is growing in our spiritual maturity and in our use of spiritual gifts. Um, hands up if you're at the Empowered Night on Wednesday. I'm not taking notes, I'm just interested. Cool, it was great to see some of you there. Um, Liam Thatcher, who is here, spoke on this exact thing, spoke on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, key passage on this is 1 Corinthians 12. Paul, again, writing to the early church in Corinth. He says, now to each one the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these things are the work of the Spirit and he distributes them to each one. God has gifts for us but they are not to stay with us. The intro to this whole little passage on spiritual gifts is the spirit is given for the common good. And actually those gifts are given for the building up of the church, the building up of the body. We want to be a community that's growing in these gifts. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I think I have a little bit of this whole sort of like words of knowledge thing, but I'm not quite sure how it works. We want this to be a safe place where we can grow, where we can develop, where we can develop spiritual maturity. Bill Johnson, who pastors a church out in Bethel, California, we sing a lot of their songs here from their worship team, um, he says this, he says, we have been given the privilege to host this presence. The Holy Spirit is in me for my sake, but he is upon me for yours. Now, I don't know if the theology of in and upon is right, I don't know, but I like it, because essentially the Spirit is on us or in us or somewhere for the betterment and the benefit of all of us together as a community. Now, you might be thinking at this point, okay, that sounds great. That's sort of cool, but it's a little bit abstract. It's a bit vague. Like, how do we, what does that mean? What does that mean for everyday life? Well, let's take a look at some practicalities. How does all of this affect us? How does this affect you and me in 21st century London, here in the Swiss church, at about half past five every Sunday? What does it mean? Um, three key things I want to suggest are foundational disciplines to growing in an awareness of the presence of God and developing spiritual maturity. Number one, get stuck into reading the Bible. Um, it's, it's honestly that simple. Get stuck into reading God's word. Uh, we want to help you guys do this. We're doing a couple of things at the moment. Uh, Georgie and I are reading through the New Testament in 2018. We've finished Matthew and we're just into Mark. In, uh, on Wednesday, we started Mark chapter one. So if you haven't started yet and you want to join us, uh, open up at Mark, kick off there. We read one chapter every weekday through the week. It's great fun. Honestly, the Bible's been coming alive for both of us in a way that it just hasn't before. It's amazing. Um, we are also starting a Bible study group that will be meeting in the hallowed upper room behind the organ pipes. Um, it's starting on February the 18th, which is next Sunday. Come along at three? Three o'clock. I'm checking with David. He'll be there. 3.30, sorry. Come along at 3.30, up in the upper room. If you want to catch the vision behind that, they're going to create a space for people to study the Word together, study the Bible, ask questions, and go on that journey together. Um, but the point of reading the Bible is not to gain intellectual knowledge. 
The point of reading the Bible is to encounter the God that revealed himself through those written words. Uh, Brennan Manning, in a brilliant book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. He says this. He says, the word we study has to be the word we pray. My personal experience of the relentless tenderness of God came not from theologians or clever spiritual writers, but from sitting still in the presence of the living word, that's Jesus, and asking him to help me understand with my head and my heart his written word, that's the Bible. Sheer scholarship alone cannot reveal to us the gospel of grace. We must never allow anything to replace the authority of knowing Jesus Christ personally and directly. When the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, we become unconvicted and unpersuasive travel agents, handing out brochures to places we have never visited. I don't know about you, but when I look at holiday brochures, I want to go there. I don't just want to read the brochure. It's the same deal with Jesus. I don't just want to know about him. I want to know him. Uh, So read the Bible, number one. Second thing, uh, worship. We have just finished a fantastic series of worship, so I'm not going to say much on this. Please go to the podcast. There are loads of amazing resources on that. Worship is so key. It's an amazing space to encounter God and to meet him there. It's not a one-way thing where we sing songs and hope that he hears. He draws very close, and he's actually very interested in what we're going through. And worship is a place where we can find him, we can meet him. Um, One of my favorite worship leaders is a guy called John Mark McMillan. Um, He's a brilliant guy from the States. He wrote uh, How He Loves Us, uh, probably a song many of you will heard, but uh, have heard of, but not heard him sing. Lots of people have covered it. And what most people don't know about that song is that he wrote it in response to his best friend uh, being killed very tragically in a car accident. And he didn't know anywhere else to go in that moment of despair and grief than to go into a place of worship and just cry out to God and try and find some sense of God's love in the midst of what he was feeling. He describes uh, the song. He says, this song is a celebration of a God who would want to hang with us through weakness and anger, who would want to be a part of our lives through those things. And despite who we are, he would want to be a part of us, our community and our family. When we come to worship, that's the sort of God we're worshiping. He wants to come and be a part of what's going on for us. So read the Bible, worship. Uh, Thirdly, pray. Prayer, in its most simple, beautiful, boiled-down form, is just talking to God. Prayer is having a conversation. And it's a two-way thing again. We express what's on our heart. We express our concerns, maybe our worries, our anxieties. We express our hopes and our dreams. And we also stop to listen. And this is something I think that's really key and something that I want us to grow in together as a service is our ability to be still and our ability to listen and hear God's promptings, his whispers, we often refer to them here. Because we live in a very noisy world. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like just it's tingling with noise. Uh, Joseph Prince, who pastors a fantastic church in Singapore, puts it like this. He says, television, radio, social media, the 24-7 news cycle plows forward mercilessly on our desks, in our cars, and in our pockets. Thousands and thousands of messages and voices bombard us from the moment we wake, fighting for our attention. We must take the time to be still and to tune in to what really matters. And I don't know about you, but I, I love coming to the West End on a Sunday because so often it's just very quiet. 
there's a chance to be still. I'm not scrolling through my Facebook feed or the emails aren't coming in on my desk and it's just, it's an opportunity to be still and it's an opportunity to listen and hear God's voice. Mother Teresa describes this as, as follows. She says, we too are called to withdraw at certain intervals into deeper silence and aloneness with God, together as a community as well as personally, to be alone with him, not with our books, thoughts, and ideas, but completely stripped of everything, to dwell lovingly in his presence, silent, expectant, and motionless. We cannot find God in noise or agitation. So guys, we want to grow. We want to grow in reading the Bible. We want to grow in our worship and our adoration. And we want to grow in prayer, in being still, in hearing his voice, and in talking to God. And within all three of these uh, disciplines, these things can start at home. And really, they should start at home. You know, it's not just that we come along to church on a Sunday, we do our spiritual bit for the week, and then we go home and get through the rest of the week. Actually, there's an invitation that God wants to meet you in your bedroom. God wants to meet you at your dining room table when you're sat with friends. And actually, you can open the Bible there and chat to people about what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're going through. Uh, one final thing I want to say, uh, questions. Questions are really good things. Uh, we really believe that we, we grow when we start to ask and grapple with some of the difficult questions in life. If you are here today and you are seeking faith, uh, we run alpha courses. Um, there's flyers like these uh, at the back, we run one that meets here on a Wednesday evening at 7.30. Highly, highly recommended. It's just a place where you can ask questions about what's going on, uh, the, some of the big questions of faith. But I want to suggest, even for those of us that have maybe walked with Jesus for many years, it's really healthy to keep asking questions. Keep wrestling with the stuff that doesn't quite make sense. Even with all this present stuff, be like, God, I haven't really seen that. Is it real? Do you want me to experience it? We want to create a culture where it's okay to ask questions uh, Albert Einstein famously said, the important thing is to not stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. Faith, Elizabeth Elliot says, does not eliminate questions, but faith knows where to take them. So number one, we want to pursue the presence of God. We want to grow in our awareness of him. Secondly, second big idea, we want to build authentic community. Uh, very quick exercise for you. Uh, turn to the person next to you. What comes into your mind when you hear the word community? Go. Uh, okay. Uh, folks, what did, what did we come up with? What did we come up with? Community. You're going to have to shout out. Someone talk to me. Friendship. Friendship. Nice. Family. Support. Popping over for a cup of tea. How frightfully English. That's lovely. <laughs> tea, friendship, support, anything else? Did anyone think of Troy and Arbed? Did anyone watch? Ah, my community followers. That's great. Sorry, separate joke. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Love all of those. Um, we live in a contemporary 21st Western culture of essentially secular individualism. We do not have time to go into all the ramifications of that, but essentially our society places huge focus on the individual. Uh, if you are interested and you've got 20 minutes spare time, I'd really recommend watching Tim Keller's keynote address at the Q Conference in 2015. Um, it's really, really amazing stuff on why culture matters. He unpacks uh, all of this uh, culture around individualism. 
But essentially, today, we are bombarded with messages telling us we have to make something of ourselves. We have to prove that me as an individual, that I am good enough, that I am capable enough, on my own, irrespective of anyone else around me. The reality is we were not created to go through this life alone. We were created to go through this life in community. Uh, Deborah Folletta, who uh, writes for Relevant Magazine a lot, uh, she wrote a great book on dating. If any of you are dating or planning to date, recommend this book. Uh, she says, what if our loneliness is the result not simply of needing a partner, but of needing people? We are made in the image of a relational God. It makes sense that we possess the desire to be together. Donald Miller, in his book, Blue Like Jazz, says, I think it's interesting that God designed people to need other people. We have this image of a rugged cowboy riding around alone on a horse, or at least he does, and we think that, <laughs> and we think that is strength, when really it is like setting your soul down on a couch and not exercising it. The soul needs to interact with other people to be healthy. And finally, Brene Brown, who talks on this whole subject absolutely brilliantly, she says, one of the greatest barriers to connection is the cultural importance we place on going it alone. Somehow we've come to equate success with not needing anyone. Many of us are willing to extend a helping hand, but we're very reluctant to reach out for help when we need it ourselves. It's as if we've decided, uh, divided the world into those who offer help and those who need help. The truth is that we are both, and we are both. We need to offer help to one another, and we need to admit it when we need help. Now, we live in a culture that is also obsessed with drawing lines and definitions on identity, uh, intersectionality, this whole concept of whatever divides you down, the, the victimhood narrative of finding out what is your base common denominator, who are you as an individual. We actually want to be a community that celebrates diversity and difference in all its forms, but that we are defined by what we have in common, and what we have in common is Jesus. Paul puts it really beautifully in Galatians 3. He says, in Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. He says the same thing to the, uh, in the book of Colossians chapter 3. He says words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, civilized and uncivilized, slave, free, mean, nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. I just think that's so leveling. We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different stories. We have different histories. We have different interests. And we love all of that. We love the diversity that exists. But the foundation that unites us all together is Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor just before and during the World War, he eventually uh, stood up very publicly against the Nazis and ended up dying in a concentration camp just before the end of the war, he had this to say about Christian community. He said, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it is a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another in and only through and in Jesus Christ. With that as our foundation, right? Jesus is our foundation. Jesus is what holds us all together. What are some of the, like, the characteristics 
of the community that we want to create here? What are some of the flavors? What are some of the different elements that we want to define our community? I want to suggest to you three things. There are many more, but these are the three that are really on my heart at the moment. Firstly, authenticity. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about this at the moment. It's a bit of a buzzword, but really it's a decision to be real. It's a decision to be real. Brene Brown, again, she says, authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. We so often step into environments and we put on a mask, we put up a, fa a facade. It's mine and Georgie's prayer that this would be a place where we feel safe enough to take down the facades, take down the masks and be real with one another. So authenticity. Secondly, vulnerability. Very much linked to authenticity. This is the courage to be raw and honest. Pete Gregg, who many of you know, he uh, founded 24-7 Prayer. He's on our Council of Reference. He says this, when life is tough, they tell you to be strong. Don't be strong. Be weak. Unclench your fists. Dare to be vulnerable. Honest weakness takes great courage. It affirms our common humanity, deepens friendship, and elicits grace. Brene Brown on the same subject matter says, vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. It is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Guys, we want to create a community where we have enough relationship with each other, where we can be really honest. And we're not saying that you just walk in and suddenly bear your guts to everyone. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about growing something where you know if you come to church on a Sunday and you have just had a rubbish week, that you know you can talk to someone and be really honest and say, do you know what, guys, this week sucked. And I'm singing these songs and I'm not quite feeling it. And I'm hearing these words and I'm just not quite there. I'm really finding it hard. We want to create a community where we can be honest. So we want authenticity. We want vulnerability. And ultimately, what that creates is a community of love. Ultimately, we want to be a community that really loves one another. Where we care for one another, we want the best for one another. Rick Warren, in his New York Times bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life, says community is a place of love and grace, where mistakes aren't rubbed in, but rubbed out. Community happens when mercy wins over justice. Brene Brown again, I'm fanboying on Brene today, aren't I? <laughs> Guilty, as charged. She says, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection, love is something that comes forth. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow. In this context, a community of authenticity, vulnerability, and love, I believe God will take us on a journey of growing together, healing together, restoring together, and really developing into the people God wants us to be. Um, Rattling on because I am taking far too long. Practicalities on this. Just a really few simple practicalities to build community. Join a connect group. Hands up if you're in a connect group. Again, we're not taking notes. Ha keep your hands up if you would recommend that connect group to someone else. This is no reflection on your connect group leaders. <laughs> like, no, it's awful. Um, 
we really believe in connect groups. Uh, we have five of them, as Georgie mentioned earlier, that meet right across the city. They're an amazing place to start working out this life during the week. Highly commend them to you. Uh, secondly, join a serving team. Um, guys, the reality is we're all in this together. We all need to step up and help out. Uh, as a community, it's, it's a very interesting early marker of spiritual maturity that we go from just attending a community to contributing. We no longer just consume from that community, but we give to it as well. Uh, we have several different serving teams from the welcome team, uh, prayer team, worship team, uh, tech team, uh, production as well. We're getting the connect groups to serve in production at the moment, which is amazing. If you're not on a team yet and you're part of this community, join a serving team. Um, also, we really believe in having fun, going away together, weekends away. We've done one, we're gonna do another one. Uh, we just think it's important to have fun. We're also planning to do a summer ball this year, get through exams, just have a really good time together. It's gonna be great. Uh, really give yourself. Community works uh, with the principle of reciprocity. You get out of it what you put in. If you want to receive in this community, throw yourself into it. Okay, very quickly, finally, we want to, uh, grow in our awareness of the presence of God. We want to build a, an authentic community amongst us. And we want to pursue purpose in our lives. Um, and we want to do this in a couple of very simple ways. Um, the reality is God taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We live with this idea that God wants to impact this world. Uh, Bill Johnson summarizes it with this, God's will is simply for heaven's reality to become Earth's reality. And we do this by loving our neighbor. The way that that reality becomes our reality is through love. Loving God has to overflow into loving other people. It's just the way it is. We, we are motivated by our love for God to go and love other people. Um, and I mentioned right back at the beginning of this, Christchurch uh, talks about working for the social and cultural renewal of this city. Uh, this can sometimes be really jargonified. I'm gonna try and break it down very quickly. Cultural renewal, what do we mean by that? This is the idea that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24. God cares about the arts, he cares about business, he cares about politics, he cares about food, he cares about your work, he cares about your studies, he cares about everything. Um, Andy Crouch, who wrote a brilliant book on culture making, says, I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside our churches. Are we known as critics, consumers, copiers, condemners of culture? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Why aren't we known as creators, people who dare to think and do something that has never been thought or done before, something that makes the world more welcoming and thrilling and beautiful? We are called in our work to create and not just consume culture. But in that, I think there is a temptation to suddenly become very obsessed about, oh my gosh, I've got to go and be amazing. I've got to go and shape culture, and if I don't, I'm a failure. That is not the issue at all. And to dispel that, here are some key values that we want to instill uh, when we go about seeking to shape culture around us in our work. We're after excellence, not perfectionism. That's honestly what God is interested in. This is a big one for our generation because the fear of failure is massive. Like, oh, what if I mess up? What if I'm not good enough at my job? What if I fail my exams? Um, Brene Brown, again, says, understanding the difference. <laughs> we should play like Brene Bingo. Bingo, who's got it? 
she says, understanding the difference between healthy striving and perfectionism is absolutely critical. Research shows that perfectionism hampers success. In fact, it's often the path to depression, anxiety, addiction, and life paralysis. Imperfections are not inadequacies. They're reminders that we are all in this together. We want to create a culture here where it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to have a go and for things to fail. We're not interested in perfectionism. We're interested in just being the fullness of who God's made us to be. Um, very quickly, it's what's on the inside that matters more than what's on the outside. Matthew 16 says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? We care, Georgie and I, much more about how you're doing on the inside than how life is looking on the outside. And you know, if you look around this room, you're a reasonably impressive bunch. I mean, genuinely, you study in some of the world's best universities. You work in one of the most incredible cities on planet Earth. But really, what matters is what's going on on the inside. So excellence, not perfectionism. On the in, what's on the inside that matters, not what's on the outside. And our identity is in who we are, not what we do. Brennan Manning says, while the imposter draws his identity from past achievements and the adulation of others, the true self claims identity in its belovedness. We encounter God in the ordinariness of life, not in the search for spiritual highs and extraordinary achievement, but in our simple presence in life. I think within this room are amazing ideas that are just like a little seed. I think there are businesses, there are social enterprises like Rachel talked about earlier. There are ideas that will really shape and affect our world. But for that thing to grow into its fullness, you have to plant that seed. Andy Crouch says it like this. He says, so you want to make culture? Find a community. A small group who can lovingly fuel your dreams and puncture your illusions. Find friends and form a family who are willing to see grace at work in one another's lives. Who can discern together which gifts and which crosses each has been called to bear. Find people who have a holy respect for power and a holy willingness to spend their power alongside the powerless. Find some partners in the wild and wonderful world beyond church doors and then together make something of the world. I love that makes it very practical. Find a community. Be real with each other. Share your dreams. And if someone else is living under an illusion, puncture it. Do it in love. But like, let's have these honest conversations. Let's work this out and go on a journey of really making something of the world. So that's cultural renewal. Whistle-stop tour. Very quickly to bring this thing into land. What's social renewal all about? So we want to shape culture out there. Well, social renewal, as Georgie touched on earlier, it's really important that this whole changing the world, woohoo, big pumped up thing, goes with also just a care for the broken and the marginalized, the least in our society, those that are really in need. Jesus repeatedly throughout the Gospels modeled this for us, and he talked on it a lot. In Matthew 25, he said, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. I wonder if we know anyone that's hungry, then maybe we could go and feed. I wonder if we know anyone who feels like a bit of a stranger who we could go and make a friend. We want to be a community that really takes care of the people in this city. You know, our concept of success and greatness in modern life is so far removed from what God defines greatness to be. Greatness is not your job title or your salary. 
Greatness is not your degree class or the university you studied at. Greatness is not your Twitter following or your level of influence in this world. Greatness is serving, and greatness is love. Jesus says, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be a servant, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King's wife, said the greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its members towards others. We want to be a community here that is compassionate, that loves, that gives selflessly. And at Christchurch London, we partner with a lot of amazing charities. We partner with International Justice Mission, Compassion International, Home for Good, Mentoring Refugees, Growth Food Bank, just to name a few. They are amazing things. I encourage you, give your time, give your money, give what you can to support these things. But also, in my heart, is the reality that I haven't mentioned geography at all yet, but we, we worship in the middle of this incredible city. We worship slap bang in the middle of Covent Garden. And probably very few of us live here, but all of us have a link here, whether we work here or study here, whether we uh, just relax here or only come here on a Sunday. This is essentially our patch. And I'm really excited to see what we can grow and what we can do to serve this immediate community. Um, part of... Uh, I guess spiritual maturity is uh, acknowledging where our strengths and where our weaknesses are. I think we do things really wonderfully when it comes to pursuing the presence of God, and I want to grow more in that. I think we are building a wonderful community here, characterized by honesty and authenticity. I think a real faith journey for us to go on is this one, is how we serve the community in which we live. Do we want to be known as consumers, people that just come and consume, or do we want to be known as people who serve? Uh, whether it's cultural renewal, social renewal, whatever renewal we're looking at, it all comes down to love. Mother Teresa says we can do no great things, only small things with great love. And this final quote to finish, Andy Crouch says, to be Christian is to stake our lives on this belief. The only cultural goods that ultimately matter are the ones that love creates. Guys, all of this, everything we're doing comes down to love. Number one, we want to pursue the presence of God. We want to grow in knowing God intimately in a loving, personal relationship. Secondly, we want to build a community here together that is characterized by authenticity, vulnerability, and love for one another. And thirdly, we want our purpose to be that we serve this city and we serve the people that live in it. Steve, I wonder if you and Yasmin would join me. Uh, folks, let's stand um, we are going to spend some time just worshipping to finish. But before, before we do that, I want to share one final thought with you. Preacher's prerogative. <laughs> um, the reality is, it's not about methods or plans or programs. We don't stand here today, as I said, with a polished vision of what we want this thing to, do, to be. We don't have all the details figured out. I'm sure we will make messes as we try and figure this all out. But what I do know is that God cares about people. More than plans or organizations or all this other stuff, God really cares about people. He cares about you, cares about me, cares about this world out there that we live in. God cares about people. The great writer on prayer, E.M. Bounds, wrote this. He said, what the church needs day to day 
is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men and women of prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not come on machinery, but on people. He does not anoint plans, but rather men and women. The church is looking for methods. God is looking for people. And I don't know whether any of what I've said today has resonated with you. Maybe different bits have resonated with different ones of us. What I do know is that God is interested in people. Much more than any service we will ever host, much more than any meeting or show we will ever put on, God cares about our hearts. Why don't we close our eyes? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're with us. That you will never leave us, never forsake us. God, I thank you that you stepped into this broken world. You made yourself vulnerable and really real. You took on flesh, came down as a baby so that we would know what love looked like. God, I pray that we would go on a journey of pursuing you and your presence like never before. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make us a community that is real, that is honest. When we find it hard, we acknowledge that. We celebrate with those who are celebrating. We mourn with those who mourn. God, would you knit us together in love? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move on our hearts to catch again a glimpse of your passion for this world, to shape culture to work for everything that is good in this city, to make it the best possible place to live and to take care of those who are suffering, who are in need, who are hurt. God, would you move our hearts? Just encourage you where you're standing. Just begin to talk to God in the stillness, in the quietness. Maybe thoughts of your studies come to mind. Maybe thoughts of your job. Maybe stresses, maybe challenges. Like John Mark McMillan said, we don't have to hide those things away. We can bring those into worship. Lord, we thank you for your presence when we worship you now. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.